Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt, coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin. Today's Thursday, September 19th, I think, 2019. Thanks for tuning in. It's greatly appreciated. So anyone out there that's not my mom that's listening to the podcast, right? God bless your heart. You're in for a wild ride. So thanks for showing up. Please don't change the station. I need as many listens as I can get on iTunes and Google Play. It makes me look a lot better. <laughs> So thanks for showing up, man. Been a wild week in baseball. You know, things are getting good. Um, We're halfway through September. Over how? Gosh, over halfway through September. I can't believe how fast these baseball seasons are going now. And I think it's because the older you get, the time just starts to go by faster when you're older. And someone explained it to me once that it's like when you are like 10 years old, Summer is a lot longer because you've only experienced 10 years of life, so that's a bigger percentage of your overall life versus me being 36 and, you know, one baseball season is like one one millionth of my life or whatever, right? It, It takes up a smaller percentage is what I'm saying, so baseball seasons go by faster. So it's like the Cubs can suck faster every single year for me, which is cool, man. I don't listen, man. I hope your team's doing good. I don't know, you're listening to this podcast right now, if you're a Braves fan or a Dodgers fan or, you know, whatever, like, if, dude, there are teams out there that are doing good, a lot of teams that aren't doing good, I don't know, I don't know if any Baltimore Oriole or, like, Detroit Tigers fans listen to this podcast, but, like, I feel bad for you, I don't, I wish, honestly, I wish I had comforting words for you, I really don't have any, you know, I think I would probably stick to clear alcohols like vodka because I think they're not as hard on your system as like what whiskeys and beer are. You definitely want to stay in shape and get ready for next season while at the same time drowning your sorrows during this season. So do what you can with that. I don't know. But you know, if you're a Cardinals fan, things are a little tight for you because the NL Central is getting a little tight. If you're a Twins fan, you're doing pretty damn good because the Twins this season, I think you're doing way better than anyone ever thought they were going to do. Obviously, if you're an Astros fan, I hate you. Like, dude, like, (laughs) they're just so good. It's not even fair. Like, have you seen Justin Verlander pitch and Garrett Cole pitch? Like, if you're an Astros fan, like, I'm happy for you because you got your World Series a couple years ago, but I'm just extremely jealous of you. Oh, my gosh. Alex Bregman? Dude, Alex Bregman's a legit MVP contender to Mike Trout. Like, I don't know. I don't think he's going to win MVP, but he's a legitimate contender. And really, anytime in Major League Baseball, you if you're in the American League, you can't really expect to win the MVP if Mike since Mike Trout's in your league. But if you get a pretty good amount of second place votes, and even for, if you get any first place vote and Mike Trout beats you, you've done pretty good for yourself. Because imagine, like, Mike Trout, dude, a stud, obviously, and if Alex Bregman gets, like, five first-place votes, that's, like, winning, basically, you know? Uh, who else if you're in good shape? I mean, if you're a Yankees fan, you're doing pretty good. Luis Severino and Giancarlo Stanton just came back. Huge for the Yankees. But Dallin Batances came back and immediately uh, tore his Achilles or partially ruptured it or however that goes. So that's no good. I, the Yankees might be cursed. But they're going to win like 110 games or something. So I mean, you can't really be crushed if you're going to win that many games. But Luis Severino coming back, though, is going to be huge for the Yankees. Um, the Dodgers. Dude, the Dodgers are doing good, man. Clayton Kershaw's pitching well. Hinjin Ryu's pitching well. Yeah, whatever. It's a good team, dude. But I, um, the Cubs are iffy right at best. I think they'll make the playoffs, but the problem is whoever wins, whoever the second team in the wild card is, probably has to play Max Scherzer. 
and like a one game playoff. I, I don't want any part of that at all. At all. At all. I know for a fact, dude, if. <laughs> Listen, dude, if the world went to some sort of zombie apocalypse, you either, one, want to be with Max Scherzer in that zombie apocalypse because he's so furious. If a zombie is going to come to eat you, I think Max Scherzer eats the zombie first. <laughs> 100%. Like, he's just, he's nuts, dude. He's certifiably crazy, right? But then also, if Max Scherzer somehow becomes a zombie, you need to run fast because he'll eat you in a heartbeat. I think Max Scherzer would eat someone's face right now. He's such a like a, a deep, dark competitor, but he got rocked for five runs yesterday against the Cardinals, man. Matt Wieters hit a pinch hit home run off of him, dude. And Adam Wainwright outdueled him, bro. So Adam Wainwright's pitching pretty good, right? He threw seven innings of, I think, one-run ball yesterday against the Nationals. I mean, they have Anthony Rendon, who's who's. I think Anthony Rendon's going to win the National League MVP. I said that a couple of podcasts ago. Whatever, but you know, I um. Uh, either way, here's what, I want to talk to you guys about something, right? And I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. But I think I'm addicted to buying baseball cards. A hundred percent addicted to it. I'm not making this up. This isn't like some sort of ploy for the show. I can't stop buying them. Like I just can't. Like it started with this, right? So a couple of years ago, I realized I could go on eBay and buy all of like the complete sets that I had when I was a kid, but I lost like 1991 Don Russ and 1991 Upper Deck were the first two sets I bought. I had them when I was a kid and I loved the sets and you could get them for like $20 a piece. I'm like, oh, okay, give them to me, man. That's great. I opened them. I sniffed them <laughs> like a weirdo, but I love the smell of baseball cards. And truth be told... I've been looking to get into the merch game anyway, and I think I'm going to create a baseball card smell cologne, right? And it would just be like Tops for Men by Quentin McCree and The Greatest Show on Dirt. And you could smell like if you wanted to, you know, and it would be it would be a unisex brand. So women could wear it. Men could wear it. The whole LBGTQ community could just wear this cologne because it's for everybody, right? And if you want to smell like maybe a 1982 Dave Winfield rookie card nestled between 500 cards of like Brett Saberhagen, Danny Tartable, Chris Sabo, Joe Oliver, uh, Leon Durham, and Ron Say, like you can smell like dingy baseball cards that have been kept in a basement for 25 years, and it's a great smell. Don't knock it till you try it. It's wonderful, man. And I could make that cologne. But now, dude, like what I've realized is then from the complete box sets, I realized that you could buy wax packs. And I sort of thought like, oh, I'm getting lucky. Like I found three wax packs for like 10 bucks. I'm going to buy them. So then I would buy like three individual wax packs, get them shipped to the house. And then I would open them and just get super excited. I would chew the gum, right? And get a little nervous because I'm, I'm a 36-year-old adult with no medical coverage. But what's the worst thing 35-year-old gum could do to one system, right? Probably killed it, but I, I'm alive. So like, we'll take that for what it is. And oh, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So then I realized on eBay that you can buy full boxes of wax packs, right? Like, you know, when you would go to the store when you were a kid, like your mom would take you to the local grocery store and there would be a box there they would have the little flap that comes up and it would say like tops baseball the real one 35 cents and then it would just be a box with wax packs in it well as it turns out you can buy whole boxes of wax packs on ebay for like 15 to 30 bucks depending on what you want so right now i've got 36 well i've i've opened a few of them so i no longer have the full box but i ordered a full box of stadium club 
1992 and 1986 Topps Wax Packs. And I honestly, I can't stop opening them. And it feels good to open them. Generally, I'll lock myself in my podcast studio and open baseball cards for hours on end. I'll sit Indian style in the floor. But because I'm 36, when I get up, my legs are falling asleep. So then I have to lay back down. Right. So that's a problem. There's so many things here. Right. But this is like the ultimate gateway drug for like baseball stuff is just all these wax pack baseball cards. Right. Because when I was a kid, like that's all I wanted to do was go. There was a card shop up the road from my house. It was called My Stuff Car Shop. Card shop. And I always wanted to go up there and I would buy baseball cards and I would buy pogs. Right. Pogs were legit. I had this dope Super Bowl slammer, man. I was winning pog tournaments. Like, y'all, I was the, I was the pog champion. Right. Like, I'm not going to brag, but, you know, I could slam some pogs, right? But needless to say, like, baseball cards, too, man, which is, like, this huge thing. And now, like, all these baseball cards that I wanted as a kid, as an adult, they're they're for me to buy. And I can buy as many of them as I want, right? And I'm, like, an adult with credit, right? Like, I have, like, an 800 credit score. I have credit cards with high limits on them. And, like, me and my wife have a budget when it comes to, like, spending money. But I got credit cards and, like, she doesn't see the statements for those, right? So I just, like, order baseball cards, and I just, like, go for it, right? And I order just, like, I mean, I just got some stadium clubs in, son. And, like, they're good. Like, they smell good. I open them up, and I feel good. And, like, my endorphins are released. And I sort of feel like it's crack cocaine for baseball fans, man. Like, I can't wait to get my next fix. I'm like, yo, I was, I need to, I need to go, right? People are like, why do you have to leave? What's wrong? I'm like, no, I'm good, man. I just have to go home. And then I go home and I just like open up baseball cards and I'm like, yeah, I'm like Tony Montana on Scarface where he puts his face in the Coke. It's like, imagine my desk with just piles of baseball cards in him and I'm just putting my face in the baseball cards to smell them. And all I want to do is look at the stats on the back of a baseball card. And I just want to know how many home runs did Will Clark hit in 1989? What was Danny Tartable's average as a rookie? It was Chris Sabo good? Is he a what-if story? And tell me about the time Eric Davis hit 37 home runs and 50 stolen bases in 139 games. All of these things I want to know, and I'm addicted to them, right? They're fun facts on the back of baseball cards. Like Ken Hawk Harrelson was a boxer and a really good golfer. Like, holy crap, man. I just want to know all this stuff, dude. It's un- I mean, it's unbelievable. If you want to know when Chris Bazio threw his first shutout, you can figure it out on the back of a baseball card. So I don't know. I might have an addiction. So I went to a website, right? And I I was like, um, I want to know if, if I'm addicted to baseball cards. So I go to this website, right? And I'm going to read you the stuff that I read because we might sort of have a problem here. And, you know, one of the first things that I saw was that um, do you find your tolerance increasing and do you have to spend more time on the addiction? And the first thing I thought was like, yeah. Like, my tolerance is definitely increasing. Like, I used to order a single, just a wax pack on eBay for, like, three bucks and just get it shipped to the house. But now, like, I'm ordering wax packs by the box. And if I open a wax pack and I get, like, a Felix Jose and a Ken Griffey Sr. and, you know, um, like a Ted Simmons card... And I'm sort of just like, man, that used to fill me up on the inside. And when I would have those cards, I would feel really good about it. And then, like, I started to get in the slippery slope of, like, you know, let me get a second card. Just one more. Just just one more card. One more pack of cards, right? And then I open the second pack of cards. And I get a Kirby Puckett. And I'm like, yo, Kirby Puckett. And I think of the time he hit that home run in game six of the, of the 1991 World Series, right? And he also made an amazing catch during that series. And I'm like, Kirby, oh, I love Kirby. 
and then I'm flipping through more of the cards, and I see a Rob Dibble, and I automatically think of the Nasty Boys. And I'm like, oh, those are some good teams, right? And then I get a Carney Lansford, and I'm like, oh, the Oakland A's. And then when they played the Reds in the World Series, man, and then, like, I just can't stop. And then I get through the second pack, and then I get to the third pack, and the fourth pack, and the fifth pack. And my tolerance is increasing right now, right? If I sit down and open up a pack of baseball cards, one one pack leads to ten packs. That's just the type of guy I am in my life right now. One pack leads to ten. And it's just like I just can't get enough, like – I could stay up till 2 a.m. open up baseball cards all night. I wake up the next morning. My wife says, why didn't you come to bed last night? I'm like, uh, I fell asleep on the couch. And she's like, Quentin? And I'm like, what? And she's like, you, you've you been opening up baseball cards again, haven't you? And I'm like, no, I didn't open up any baseball cards. And then she barges in my studio and sees 20 packs of open, empty wax packs. Right? This is a problem for me. That's what it is, man. So my tolerance is definitely increasing. Hands down. Right, but also one of the things I read was you suffer withdrawal if you attempt to stop. Listen, I'm getting my packs of baseball cards on eBay, and I always like set my phone down. Like when I'm at work, right? When I'm at work, I set my phone down. I say, Quentin, don't grab that phone. And then my mind starts to race. My body starts to tremble and sweat. And all I want to do is get more baseball cards. And so I'm like typing at my job on my computer, and I see my phone, and it lights up, and it says. You have 20 more minutes to bid on a Buck O'Neill baseball. And I see it and I'm like, no, I'll lose the bid. I don't need the Buck O'Neill baseball card because I have a Buck O'Neill poster. And then I get a warning that says five minutes to bid. And then I grab the phone and I bid way more than anyone else will ever bid on a Buck O'Neill baseball card because then I know I'll get the baseball card. And then I've done it again. And so there are symptoms that are there. They say that when you try to withdraw from heroin or like painkillers, that you get serious flu-like symptoms for two days. Well, I know this. When I don't order baseball cards, my stomach starts to hurt and I sweat a lot. And I start to get stressed. Right? Those are bad things for me. But I'm gonna keep uh I'm gonna keep going, man. Also, it tells me Do you feel anxious or uncomfortable if you can't do it? Oh, I just explained that. Yeah, I do feel anxious and uncomfortable that I can't do that. Do you often say to yourself that you're going to do something different and then you go back to the same thing? I do. I do. I tell myself, I said, Quinn, I'm not going to order any more baseball cards. I've got two boxes of unopened stadium club. I've got a box of unopened stadium club right now and a box of unopened 86 tops. But I got my eye on 1990 Fleer because you can get a box set for $15 on eBay. I don't need it, but like I want more of it, you know? So I tell myself, I'm not going to order 1990 Fleer. But I'm going to tell you this, when I get off this podcast, I'm probably going to order 1990 Fleer. Honestly, I might order 1990 Fleer right now, actually. Let me see. Let me just get in my eBay phone. Let me just see how much right now, eBay. Let me get my app on right now. I just want to see how much the Fleer, the Fleer box set is, right? I'm not going to order them. Fleer 1990 Wax Pack. Baseball Wax Box. Okay. 1990 Fleer. Oh, get out of here. Yo, I can get a 1990 Fleer baseball box. 36 sealed wax packs. It might have a Sammy Sosa rookie card in it. It's $5.57 with $8 shipping. And it's got good reviews from the seller. I don't even care if the seller's bad. That's the risk you have to take. And that's what it also says if you're an addict. That you attempt to take risky things, right? I do know when Target started selling Topps Archives, 
Yo, I drove like 50 miles an hour to Target because I needed the card so bad. And they say that if you're an addict, that sort of risky behavior, like driving fast, is what you'll do. Or impulse purchases. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get these cards. Well, they come with logo stickers in them, too. Dude, I love logo stickers, man. It's like the 1991 Upper Deck, man. They give you logo stickers. Oh, man. I can order these, bro. Buy it now. Done. Okay. They'll notify me when they ship out. Ah eBay's got this one-touch order thing where you could just hit a button and then, like, you just get the cards and then they, like, come to your house. So that's a pretty cool deal. Um, do you have other negative... Are you keep doing what you're doing even though you know there are clear negative consequences. I just don't know if anybody should be putting baseball cards on a credit card. Right? That's what I'm doing right now. That's a bad thing, right? Do you think that's a bad thing? I don't know if there are any financial experts out there, but that's what I'm doing right now. I don't know if I need help or not, right? I'm, I mean, I'll pass a drug test, so I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, it's not like I'm doing math, right? I'm not running a meth lab here, right? There are a lot of baseball cards in my office right now. Oh, well, that's where we're at, dude. Greatest show on dirt. Listen, let's get to some real-life baseball talk, and we'll get the show on the road. Let's get to some stuff. So last Saturday, Charlie Culberson got hit in the face with a baseball. He Fernando Rodney was pitching. Yeah, Fernando Rodney's still pitching. He's like 55 years old. I'm pretty sure he's an AARP guy as well as a 91-mile-an-hour fastball guy. So he throws this 91-mile-an-hour fastball at Charlie, and Charlie squares around a bump. But the problem is the fastball, it just starts to run inside on him, man. And Fernando didn't do it on purpose. Fernando was probably trying to pitch inside, but it got away from him. And Charlie Culberson gets hit in the face. It comes at him too fast. He can't get out of the way. And he just, he got hit in the face. He got hit right below the right cheekbone, man. He has multiple facial fractures. It was a gruesome thing to watch. I think I watched it once, and I haven't watched it again. Obviously, I didn't post anything like out of respect of like Charlie. Like I don't think people should be posting this play. But it's out there, and you can see it, right? So Charlie gets hit. Fernando Rodney's on the mound. He's clearly shaken up. Charlie's on the ground in a pool of blood. And then this is around the time where Dave Martinez comes out and appeals to the umpires. And he's like, hey, can you guys get with the third base umpire? Because that was a strike because he bunted. And so they call it a strike. And then Brian Snitker, the Braves manager, he catches wind that Dave Martinez went out there to appeal a strike call while his guy was on the ground bloodied. Not knowing if he's going to play again. Not knowing if he's going to live. I mean, a 91-mile-an-hour fastball is the type of stuff. I mean, it could kill you, right? Tony Canigliaro, he wasn't the same after he got hit in the face and only had probably two more good years in him after he got hit in the face. And that's what this situation reminded me of, right? And if you don't know that story, I'll go into a little bit of it here in a second. But Brian Snitker got pissed, dude, and he got ejected out of the game. He told the umpire, shame on them. He, he cussed a lot, for sure. He was real passionate about it, and he was sticking up for his guy. And honestly, I think Dave Martinez going out to the mound, 
and appealing a strike call when the opposing players on the ground in a pool of blood is entirely disrespectful to that man, his livelihood, his family. It shows no like human sympathy whatsoever. And I get, I understand that the rules are the rules. And if you're turned around for a bunt and you get hit with a ball, like if a player gets hit with a ball and they swing, it's a strike. They don't get to take their base. And it's like that with a bunt. Like if you try to bunt the ball and miss it and it hits you like in the stomach, then like it's a strike and you still have to be at the plate. But the problem with this is, is one, it hit him in the face. And two, Charlie Culberson at that point, once a baseball's coming at your face, he's not really trying to put down a bunt. And that's part of the reason why Brian Snicker was so pissed. It wasn't the fact that it was a strike, but it was like, bro, you're coming out here and you want to make the case that my guy bunted and it should be a strike. He wasn't trying to bunt. He was trying to get out of the way of the ball. He couldn't even react to anything. Supremely disrespectful, dude. So look for this to be a primo grudge match when the postseason comes because there's a chance that the Nationals and Braves that they could meet in the postseason. Oh, FIY, the, uh, yeah, I said that right. <laughs> the the Nationals ended up losing that game 10-1, to 1, so that's what you get for being a jerk. But also, these teams could face each other in the postseason, right? You've got the Nationals who will probably get, I think, will get the number one wild card and they'll win whoever they have to win against. Because of their pitching, right? Max Scherzer, ever heard of him? Yeah, he can shut guys down. So, but what that means is the teams would likely meet in the NLCS because the Dodgers are going to get the wild card, okay? And I'm going to make this prediction right now that if the Dodgers and the Nationals play in the National League Division Series, best of five, that the Nationals are going to win that series. The Nationals have yet to win a playoff series since they've moved to D.C., and I think they're primed for it. And I do not think that the Dodgers are going to go to their third straight World Series. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Nationals are going to stop them. And then at that point, it's likely that you could see, I think the National League Championship Series will be the Braves and the Nationals. And you look at this matchup, and it's a supreme grudge match now because not only does Brian Snitker feel that disrespect from Dave Martinez and his staff for not really caring about uh, Charlie Culberson when he he might actually never play baseball again. We don't know what's wrong with his injury. What, you know what could happen, what complications he might have. You might see the ultimate grudge match in the NLDS, and if you do, get ready for it because folks are getting hit. I hope they get hit. I don't actually. I don't think they will get hit, but it'll be a hell of a matchup, man. Because there's a little bit of drama at this thing now because there's no doubt that guys feel slighted on the Braves over the fact that what Dave Martinez did, and I know Brian Snitker's pissed about it, right? But Tony Conigliaro, do you know, that's a hard name to say, Tony Conigliaro, you know about him, right? He's the guy, like back in 1967, he got hit below his left eye. He uh, cracked his cheekbone, broke his jaw, and had permanent damage to his left retina. And he only had about two more years of good baseball in him before he had to retire because his, his eyesight just progressively got worse, like immediately after his his eyesight was worse, but he got hit, right? Tony C, yeah, that's what we're going to call him right now because Conigliaro is a hard name to say when you're on the spot recording a podcast. Make fun of me. And he, he always got on top of the plate, man, but this pitcher named Jack Hamilton, right, threw him inside and accidentally hit him in the face, man. It wasn't a purpose pitch whatsoever. It was just about a pitcher establishing part of the plate. That's what you do with your pitcher, right? That's sort of a strategy thing. And he got hit hard, man. Carl Yastrzemski was a teammate of Conigliaro and said that you could hear 
the ball hit his face all over the ballpark, and it went quiet, right? And this guy, man, before his injury, dude, he's he's has the home run record for teenagers in MLB history. So as a 19-year-old, he had 24 home runs. He was also the youngest player in history to hit 100 career home runs, right? This guy was so good. Folks were even starting to talk about, hey, can he hit 714 home runs, right? Because this was before Hank Aaron, and the record was 714, and this guy was the second coming of everything great. They say when he was, if you look at his age 21 season statistically, Tony Conigliara was most like Mickey Mantle. But his age 22 season, he was most like Frank Robinson, right? So his first two years are very comparable to two first ballot Hall of Famers. And he actually even came back from his injury. And one of the good seasons he had, he had had 36 home runs after getting his cheekbone, just getting his face just hammered by a pitch. And what's so impressive about that is a baseball player's got to be brave to take a hit like that in the face and then come back and actually perform really well, it's, it's it's unbelievable. But here, I'm going to tell you, hold on. Because he had, after he got hit in the face, right, when he got hit, he was bleeding from his eye, his ear, and his nose. That is a scary situation to be in. And he... Okay, he came back from his injury and batted 255 with uh, 20 homers, but then in 1970 was a really good year he had where he batted 266 and hit 36 home runs. And then he tried to play in 1971, and then it just didn't work anymore. He couldn't he couldn't find the ball, couldn't see the ball, batted 222, his power was zapped. Tried to come back another four years after that. He batted like 123. His It just... It, this is definitely one of the most interesting what if stories ever that at least I don't talk about on the podcast a whole lot, right? Like, I think Bo Jackson's one of the most popular what if stories in professional baseball and really all of sports whatsoever. But Tony Conig- Conigliaro is for sure a very sad, like, what if story, right? Um, you know, when he got hit, I mean, they heard the thud from it. And there are pictures you can get online of, like, him laying on home plate, and then they had to carry him off in a stretcher. And what had happened, what's even super eerie about Conigliaro and getting hit in the face, is as he was coming up to bat, somebody in left field threw a smoke bomb onto the field, and that caused a 10-minute delay. So the pitcher, Jack Hamilton, he just sort of had to wait, and he essentially, like, lost his looseness, right? Tony said years later that his or at night really years later but after he recovered from it tony said that during that delay he he the first the last thought he had right before he got hit in the face was i hope jack's arm didn't stiffen during that delay and then he got hit in the face unbelievable and i'm not saying it was from the smoke ball but that just adds on to it then to sort of add to like the mystique of this whole situation was it was in 1967 where, and the Red Sox won the pennant that year. And that was the first time they'd won the pennant in a really long time. And they went to the world series and actually lost to the St. Louis Cardinals in seven games. But one could definitely make the case that if Tony Conigliaro had been on this team, that the Red Sox would have won the world series in 67, right? They replaced him 
with Hawk Harrelson and a couple other guys, and those guys batted under 200 during the regular season and were completely ineffective in the World Series. It would be the equivalent of like the the Houston Astros having to play without Alex Bregman. Like Alex Bregman's a big part of that a big part of that lineup or here's what it would be closer to be like. It'd be like the Nationals having to play without Anthony Rendon right now. Like that's a huge part of their offense and defense and it would like just be gone. And that's a big deal. So super awful for that man. Definitely hope that Charlie Culberson recovers from this and can play again because it's definitely not a given once you get hit in the face. So to tell you, though, man, baseball's a dangerous sport, dude. We're talking hard slides into second, people getting low, you know, fastballs. Man, they're moving faster than ever. And, you know, I think definitely the, the helmet's been adjusted because, you know, you have, like, the mouth the thing that goes in front of, like, the mouth and the face and things like that. But still, you know, to even be able to come back from something like that, and that's sort of when you, when you think of Charlie Culberson, it's like, man, you know, you know, you hope he can come back from something like that and really be, you know, the player that he was and not really be afraid to go into the box let's uh let's get into some division talk so the Yankees are running away with the AL East they've got 99 wins right now so the AL East is locked up and the AL West is locked up so if you're uh you know digging into some American League Baseball the Cleveland Indians are four games behind the Twins in their division so I would say the Twins will probably win that division so what you really want to look at right now is the wild card in the American League and it's definitely just like that in the National League. So in the American or the National League East, the Braves are nine games up on the Nationals, and they're they're basically locked to win that division. And then the Dodgers have won the NL West; they're going to win that division. So really, in the American League and the National League, it's sort of your central divisions that are up for grabs. So right now, the Brewers and the Cubs are tied, and they're three games behind the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Wild definitely like. The NL Central's up for grabs as well because when you're three games back and have, you know, a few weeks of baseball left, that's something that you can still do. And it's likewise with the AL Central. So you definitely want to check out those races, Twins, Indians, and then in the National League, the Cardinals, Brewers, and Cubs. And even the Brewers don't have Christian Yelich, but it doesn't really seem like they're letting it get to him because they're winning games. They lost last night, but they're, they're I think they'll definitely play good enough baseball because it's weird like in baseball, it's not – you know, baseball isn't that sport like basketball or football where you've got like that one stud, right? If Tom Brady gets hurt today, the Patriots are done for. And it's like that in basketball as well. Like if Michael Jordan, the second he left the NBA, the Bulls stopped winning titles. And then when he came back, they started winning titles again, right? And in baseball, that's sort of not the case. It's more of a team thing because just the way the game's designed, you know, your best hitter only bats four times, you know, four to five times a game. So it's like, yeah, you know, that's how it is, right? You can't give him the ball every time. So def- so the Brewers are still in it, I would say, hands down. Just because Yelich is injured doesn't mean that they can't do what they did last year at all, you know? But I, um, you know, deficits can be handled, right? Like the 1951 Giants, they were seven games back of the Brooklyn Dodgers in September. And they actually finished the season tied. And that was, you know, the comeback to where that was Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world, where they had to actually... They finished the season. Okay, hold on. Start from the beginning. So the New York Giants were seven games back of the Brooklyn Dodgers in September. They finished the season tied and had to go to a. Th- they played a three-game playoff actually, so it wasn't a one-game playoff. Like there wasn't really a game one sixty-three. There were just three more games to figure this out. But that was probably the case because after that you went straight to the championship series. There was no divisional round, right? But 
Dude, what is so wild? Wild. About this New York Giants, dude? Did you? This was the team where, like, years later, they got caught stealing signs. Right? You've heard about that, right? Like, where Bobby Thompson's home run, like, may have been tipped because uh, the Giants were stealing signs. Yeah, listen to this crap, bro. They admitted that they were stealing signs. So... Here's what it was. Leo DeRocher was the coach of the New York Giants, right? The New York Giants are like 13 and a half games back at the beginning of August. Like, they suck, bro. And, but they had a guy on their team named Hank. Hank Shentz, I think is what his name. And Hank used to play for the Cubs, right? So he goes to Leo and he's like, listen, man, I want to talk to you about something. And Leo's like, okay, what's up? And Hank's like, listen, man, I got a military field scope at the house. And it's like a beefed up telescope from like the war. And when I was in, when I played for the Cubs, I used to sit in, I used to hide in the scoreboard at Wrigley Field. And with my military field scope, I would steal signs and then relay them to the bullpen. Then the bullpen would give them to the hitter. And Leo, he's like, that's a great idea. I know an electrician at the polo grounds, right, where we play. I could have him maybe hook up an electronic buzzer to go to the bullpen. And Hank's like, that's an awesome idea because I still have the telescope at the house and I'll bring it over. So Hank brings the telescope from the house and Leo, he gets with the grounds crew at the polo grounds. He's got an electrician, buddy. He's like, bro, I want you to build this buzzer because Hank's going to be hiding in center field in an office that has a window, and he's going to use his military-grade field scope to steal signs. Then he's going to do Morse code on a buzzer and get it to the bullpen. Then the bullpen's going to get it to the hitter, and the electrician's like, yo, I'm down with that, right? And from being 13 and a half games back in August, <laughs> they won the division. They lost the World Series, I think, like in six games to the Yankees, bro, but they legit did that. Can you imagine, bro, if that happened today? Could you imagine if that happened today? Like if... Dude, if Bryce Harper's like, hey, Gabe, man, I got a telescope for Christmas for my wife because I'm into, like, stars and stuff, and I could bring it, we could steal signs, and then Dave would be like, that's great, man, because I took an electronics technology class in high school, and I could wire up a buzzer. That would be the wildest deal ever if that happened now, dude. It was even funnier, dude. Holy crap. Is years later, dude. So, so they only found out about the Giants, like, really cheating hardcore like maybe six or seven years ago, right? And there was this guy named Sal who was the backup catcher for the Giants. And years later, they asked Sal about it. And he was like, uh, this is Sal's response. He goes, people are always thinking about us stealing signs in the polo grounds, but we were stealing signs on the road. No one ever writes about that. We were thinking all the time. And so it's, dude, it's like this guy stealing signs. And the, his one comment, there was no remorse for the giant stealing signs. Sal's one comment is, bro, like nobody talks about us stealing signs on the road. Like we're way better at stealing signs than what you could have ever imagined, man. It's crazy. I like to steal though too, man. It's a good feeling to steal. It is. You know how Winona Ryder like got caught stealing that one time? Bro, stealing is sort of a rush, dude. Like sometimes I'll leave water on the bottom of the basket, like that Nestle Pure Life water, right? I'll leave it on the bottom of the basket, and then I'll just walk out of the store and be like, oh, I can't believe I forgot to scan my water. But, like, I just take it with me anyway, dude. But one time when I was a kid, man, I got caught stealing. I was, like, four or five years old. I think I was four, actually. And I was at Max Superfoods, man. It was this grocery store, Max Superfoods, by the house that I lived in in Illinois. Marion, Illinois. So where the penitentiary was where John Gotti died. And um, 
we were, I was at the store with my mom, and I always used to steal little stuff. Like, I love to steal bubble tape. That was my jam. I would steal bubble tape, right? And But this time, yeah, I had a, I had a jean jacket. Do you like a Jordache jean jacket with a pocket on the inside? So I would put bubble tape in the pocket on the inside. I would put bubble tape and peppermints in it. <laughs> and this one time, dude, there was this guy. He was emptying the quarters out of the quarter machines where you would get, like, bouncy balls and, like, the football helmets, right? And so he had, like, all these quarters sitting there, dude. So, like, I started taking quarters, and I put them in my cargo pant pocket, right? So I stole all these quarters, and then there was a watch sitting there, too, and I took the watch like a true thief does. And it was me and my buddy Neil. We were in the grocery store together, man, so we start stealing all the quarters we can get. Because as a kid, dude, like, quarters were my favorite thing ever because quarters would get you everything and anything you wanted out of the vending machine. Like, a quarter would get you a bag of Doritos. If you had a quarter and a dime, you could get hot fries, you could get bouncy balls, you could get press on tattoos, you could get stickers, you could get football and baseball helmets, like, because the quarter machines were where it's at when you were a kid. Or do you remember those things where, like, it was like the stretchy, sticky hands where you would, like, fling it and the hand would stick to the surface? I remember getting those out of vending machines, dude, and they were so dope. But then I got to the, I got to the house, and it's sort of like... I sort of know how Hank feels, like, years later after these guys got caught because I, I'm come home... And I'm loaded down with quarters, dude. I got, like, probably $20 worth of quarters. And to a kid, like, I was basically the Howard Hughes of children. Like, it was like Bill Gates money, bro. Like, dude, like, I could buy however many Kit Kats you wanted. Like, if you wanted baseball cards, bro. If you wanted sunglasses. If, I mean, if you wanted, like, a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Like, bro, I could buy so many of them, dude, with all that money I had. And... I, I go up to my mom, and, she, and I'm like, Mom, can you help me put this watch on? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, hey, man, where'd you get this watch at? And to which I reply, oh, I got it at the vending machine. And she's like, what? Because she's looking at the watch, and she's like, this is a real nice gold watch, man. She's like, I don't think you got this out of the vending machine. And I was like, yeah, I did. And then she notices my pockets are weighed down because she hears the jingling when I'm walking. Right, because I didn't hide the money. I wanted to carry the money around with me in my pocket to floss on my enemies. And my mom's like, what's in your pocket? And then she made me empty my pockets. And she's like, you obviously stole this watch because this is a real-life gold watch. And where did you get all those quarters from? And I'm like, I got them from the washing machine. She's like, bullshit. Like, that's what I would do as a kid. I would always go to the washing machine. And, like, if I'd find a couple quarters, like, it would be legit. But my mom's like, you didn't find... 75 quarters in the washing machine you idiot and so she took me back to the store and she made me apologize to the owner and explain to him that i had shoplifted and did i have remorse over it no not really man because i kept stealing bubble tape every now and then when i could so i'm kind of like sal with i'm like i told my mom i said mom i said i'm not just stealing quarters like i'm getting bubble tape on the reg you know what i mean and i'm not afraid of anything and that's how that sort of was but the 51 giants man that's a crazy story, right? A high-powered telescope. Bro, I wish that would happen today. I wonder if it is happening today. Do you think anyone out there has a telescope? Do you think there's a baseball player out there right now with a high-powered telescope somewhere? Who's one player right now that I think would steal signs? Ryan Braun. Ryan Braun's a dick. I think Ryan Braun would steal signs. Hands down right now. End of story. I think Chris Davis for the Orioles. He should definitely think about stealing signs. I think the Cubs should for sure think about getting a high-powered telescope in the Wrigley Field scoreboard if they can. The Tigers and the Orioles, honestly, if they got caught stealing signs, I wouldn't even be mad at them. <laughs> so they're just not that good. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, swipe him for sure. But I, I, I think Ryan Braun would for sure. I think be that guy to steal signs. I just hate him, dude. He's like my least favorite baseball player ever. Him and Manning Machado. I just don't like them as people, right? But you can't say that you don't like Manny Machado on social media because you will get roasted. Um, but I mean, I don't like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they're, I'd say my least favorite athletes across all sports right now. Definitely Aaron Rodgers, Manny Machado, Ryan Braun. I think that's it. I can't really think of another one off the top of my head. I imagine there are more out there, but I don't know who they are. Next on, what else are we going to talk about? Dude, should Alex Bregman be considered MVP over Mike Trout now that Mike Trout's injured? Mike Trout's going to finish the season at, I think, 130-something games. And then Alex Bregman should finish the season just fine. And so there's a big sort of um, following about Alex Bregman should should some people think he should for sure get the MVP because Mike Trout just can't finish the season right now. Season's done. And that's what people are saying. They're like, Mike Trout, you're hurt. You can't finish the season. Alex Bregman should win at 100% end of story. And so this guy named Brian, I think, wrote this story for the Houston Chronicle. And he said, there's a few quotes from the article. He said, the fact that so many have already handed the AL MVP to Mike Trout is hilarious because the Los Angeles Angels are 68 and 82. They haven't mattered in the division since the middle of May, which is true. Could you? That's sort of sucky, man. Like, a part of me's mad that Mike Trout signed with the Angels again because there's a chance that what folks say is the greatest offensive player of our generation will never, ever, ever see him play a meaningful game of baseball in the postseason. Actually, I don't know if if Mike Trout's ever played in a meaningful game. The most meaningful game Mike Trout's ever played in is an all-star game or probably a wiffle ball game in the backyard with his friends because it definitely ain't the one at Angel Stadium, right? And it said the fact that Trout has been guaranteed the award for MVP in the AL just because his war is 8.3 and Bregman's is 7.5, again, that is hilarious. You have to be great. Your team also has to be a championship contender or at least pretty darn good to win the MVP. So is that the thing? Listen, I thought I record I talked about a little bit of what I thought about MVPs on the podcast. Listen, first and foremost, if you just go over the numbers of Alex Bregman and Mike Trout, right? I'm not one for war does the job. Just because you have a higher war doesn't really mean much. I sort of need to know where it comes from. So number one, my first thought was, if I'm picking a fantasy baseball team, who am I picking? If I have the number one pick, Mike Trout or Alex Bregman? It's Alex Bregman. Hand- Fuck. Not. No, no, it's not Alex Bregman. I'm picking Mike Trout hands down with my number one pick. Mike Trout's numbers are... Forget about war for a second. Mike Trout's a better hitter than Alex Bregman. Every single one of his stats does it. He has a higher on base, a higher slugging, a higher OPS. He's got more home runs. He's got way more walks. He's 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 just a better, I mean, he's a better hitter. Mike Trout's a better hitter than Alex Bregman. Like, I have eyes. Alex Bregman's a really good hitter. Mike Trout has an OPS plus of 183. Alex Bregman has an OPS plus of 159. So judging by that OPS number, Mike Trout is a 25% better hitter than what Alex Bregman is. 
Alex Bregman still has 1,000 OPS. Alex Bregman actually has 110 walks. They're tied for the same walks. Well, I'll give Alex Bregman this, though. He doesn't strike out. Alex Bregman only has 80 strikeouts on the year. One could make the case. If you're li- if the World Series is on the line, which guy do you want at the plate, Bregman or Trout? One might say well, Bregman strikes out a lot less. But Mike Trout's much more of a dangerous hitter. But I can't just look at home runs and RBIs just aren't going to do it for me either, right? They're intangibles on the field. I mean, what, you know, what else do you look at? Alex Bregman has 37 home runs and 105 ribbies. Mike Trout has 45 home runs and 104 ribbies. Home runs definitely make the case for sure. So a guy that hits more home runs and has a higher on-base percentage from 419 to 438, I mean, he gets on base more, hits for more power, has a higher OPS, probably has a higher weighted runs created plus. I mean, I, their, their stats are close. Their, their stats are close. 581 slugging for Alex Bregman, 645 slugging for Mike Trout, 1083 OPS. Alex Bregman has 1,000 OPS. Like, these stats are close, right? You can also make the case with Bregman where he's had to play shortstop some this year. So he can play shortstop, and he plays gold glove caliber third base, but Mike Trout plays gold glove caliber outfield. You know, these stats, are they're, they're close. They're closer than what people say. This guy from... Houston, he's definitely like Mike Trout's not even close. He can't finish the season. Do I one, do I hold Mike Trout accountable and not give him the MVP because he had to cut his season short because he's injured? I don't think so. You know. Just well, really it depends, I guess, on what side you lie. You know, if it's I think for a player to stay healthy for so long and to play through injury and do it well, I think that requires a certain amount of skill. Part of me does think because Mike Trapp doesn't have anything to play for, he can sort of just lace up his sneakers and go. But also, if Alex Bregman wasn't on the Astros right now, the Astros would still be World Series contenders because they're just so loaded. You know, so it's like really if you take either guy off of their team right now, it doesn't drastically change their team very much. But that's the nature of baseball. We don't live in a league where you can put a Michael Jordan on a team and win six titles in a row with that guy on your team. Doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen in baseball. Right. So I wonder at some point, when do we just find because there's a definitely a pretty big debate on. Hey, if you're going to give someone the MVP, they have to be playing meaningful baseball and they have to be playing for a championship contender because that's supposed to show you that they make a difference on their team and they're carrying their team to the playoffs in the World Series. But you know that that's not how baseball works, right? Mike Trout got injured last year and didn't play for the Angels for like, I don't know, 40 or 50 games or something. Or it was two years ago in 2017. He only played 114 games. And the Angels had like, a slightly better win percentage without Trout in the lineup. So, I mean, it's a fact that in baseball, one player, unless it's a pitcher, really doesn't, I mean, over the span of 62 games, that's why a person's war could be 10 games because they affect you 10 games, right? It's not like Michael Jordan on a team. So what I'm what I'm trying to say is this. You take Mike Trout off of his team and it doesn't make a difference for the Angels. You take... Alex Bregman off his team right now, and it doesn't make that much of a difference for the Astros. But it does make a difference because, like, your teams don't want to lose those guys. But 
they don't have the same impact that LeBron James has on his team, right? So baseball doesn't work that way. So is it finally time to – does it make sense to vote for the MVP and not care about the team they're on or the record of that team? Because we know in Major League Baseball, one baseball player can't carry the whole team. Obviously, obviously losing Alex Bregman would make a huge – would make a difference to the Houston Astros. But – he only bats four times a game, five times if it's a blowout. He's got great defense, but you can get a glove easier than you can get a bat, and it's just sort of like, I don't know, man, right? I think they get to, I think the Astros could win a World Series without Alex Bregman. So because that's the case, then I think you should vote for the MVP award based on the player and their numbers and who's the best player out of those guys. And I think it, it might really truly be about time to like not – vote for your MVPs based on the team record. That's a possibility. But also what you have to be careful of is you definitely want to give players incentive to play for a winning team and be a part of a winning team. And because of the culture we live in, where like so many teams tank. So for example, in the American league East, you have two, it's a, that's a three team division, the AL East, because the, the Blue Jays and the Orioles, they're out. The American League Central, that's a two-team division. The National League Central, that's a three-team division. The American League West, that's a two-team division. So many of these things are cut down. And part of the argument about giving a guy like Mike Trout MVP with a team that can't win and isn't going to win and starting to do that with other players is you're sort of feeding into this like tanking culture, this bad apple within Major League Baseball of teams not caring about winning, but you're still going to reward their players. And if you make it a point not to reward those guys that are on teams that aren't winning baseball and maybe only care about making money as opposed to making a playoff appearance, that you might be feeding into that. And then maybe the players or the players' union would care more about changing that aspect because not only is it affecting their win-loss record, but it's affecting their accolades that could affect their Hall of Fame credentials, right? So there's that sort of thing too, right? Uh, so it's, yeah, you know, what do I think about this whole situation? Buddy, I'm just as confused as you are, man. Obviously, you can tell because I don't even know what I'm saying. But in, in this situation, like, I see the case for Alex Bregman, but I still vote Mike Trout MVP. But there are a lot of people online that are like, oh, Mike Trout 100%, you idiot, or Alex Bregman 100%, you idiot. But it's not the case. It truly is a close race, right? And there is something to be said, no doubt, for Alex Bregman finishing a season because I believe it takes skill to finish a complete Major League Baseball season and not get injured or to play through those injuries. So it's... It says something that Trout can sort of just cash it in and not finish out the season when Alex Bregman has to finish out the season because his team needs him. But what's Trout going to do, man? Like, my team doesn't need me. We suck, so I'm going to go home. And it's like, so maybe that does take him out of the MVP race. But apparently with Mike Trout's foot injury, right, he's apparently, like, can't walk on it anymore. Like, it used to just flare up and go away, and now it's just constant. So when you look at a foot injury like that, and if you start to – you know, walk or run like a little differently, that can affect other parts of your body like knees, right? You don't want that. So I don't fault Trout for hanging it up 
at this point of the year because he could do more damage than good, even if his team was in the race. But you play the game to win, which is slightly annoying that he re-signed with the Angels for 50 years and $500 bazillion. I just hope at some point, dude, that the Angels figure themselves out. But they handed out bad contracts, right? Josh Hamilton was an awful contract. Albert Pujols, Trevor Cahill, they gave Matt Harvey money. Bro, who pays Matt Harvey to do anything? Like, did they see him pitch? Ugh. Boy, he can't. So Matt Harvey sucks. I'm Matt Harvey's a professional baseball player. Matt Harvey's a good baseball player, but he wasn't worth signing and paying any money to. Trevor Cahill, yeah, whatever. Stings aren't good over there. But I don't really know where else to go with this, man. It's like just because you can agree that neither of these guys is really carrying their team, then that's true, actually. Like, if you can look at Alex Bregman and Mike Trout right now, because maybe to look to look for an answer to how to vote for an MVP, like this blanket answer, is probably actually the wrong approach, right? So if we look at Alex Bregman and Mike Trout right now, we can agree that neither of these players is carrying their team. The Astros would still be in good shape without, without Bregman, and the Angels would still suck without Trout. So in this particular MVP race, I feel because since neither of these guys is carrying their team, like, for example, Christian Yelich in 2018 with the Brewers, the case could be made that he carried that team, so give him the MVP. But in this situation, it's not the case, right? I don't even know. Shit. I don't even know that Alex Bregman's the MVP of his team, to be honest with you. <laughs> and that's not really a dig at Bregman, but I'm just trying to figure out who's going to win this MVP and Sort of because of that, man. I feel like, just give it to Trout, dude. Who cares about the knees, right? Don't really care. Um, we're at 53 minutes, man. I'm going to end this podcast. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. And until then, I hope the baseball team does all right. They're playing the Cubs. I hope they lose. And I'll catch you next time. Later, Gators.